Let's do this. Where we record the video. So we're testing our mommy's podcast. You say testing one, two? Testing one, two. Very good. Welcome to the nicest guy in rock and roll is missing the podcast. I am in the midst of creating the documentary on my friend Scott Professor Piano Kushney, who I reported missing back in 2018. Scott and I were the best of friends for 10 years, and telling his story is incredibly important to me, even now as I'm in the throes of breast cancer treatments. So please join me for a journey into filmmaking, cancer, great music, and the story behind the nicest guy in the world. So this podcast uh, is sprung out of a film that I'm trying to make on my friend Scott Kushney, Scott Professor Piano Kushney. And I, you know, got my bravery all together at the end of uh, last year and started up a, a Indigo crowdfunding campaign, which was super successful. And two weeks later, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. So that has been, I thought the biggest hitch in my plans was going to be having to do this with a toddler and a four-year-old, but apparently the universe said, (laughs) no, we need a little more action on that front. You know, are you really dedicated to make this film? The answer is yes. Yes, I am. And uh, so this is a chance for me to share a bit of the the journey I'm going through as a filmmaker, but also, um, yeah, tell, tell Scott's story in a little more robust way as this film gets underway. So the, one of the main questions I get asked is how did I, when I was 27, end up hanging out with a 70 year old rock and roll piano star. And uh, to answer that is these two gentlemen right beside me, because I will not put the blame on their shoulders, but uh, the, uh... (laughs) so uh, this is my dad, Don Reed, who was a CBC producer for many years, um, particularly on the the telethon for Easter Seals and got to know many great musicians, including this gentleman here, Peter McGraw, who had an excellent career in as a singer. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and touring with Steppenwolf, to name a few. And Butterfield. Don't forget, don't, forget Butterfield. don't forget Butterfield. And uh, yeah, and so how long have uh, I? I won't ask Dad this question, but how long have you and I known each other, Pete? Oh my God, the first uh, I think you were. She must have been about maybe seven or eight, maybe younger, maybe younger, maybe even maybe younger. three or four. Yeah. At the farm. Yeah. You stared at me. One whole afternoon, <laughs> you just stared at me, and I kept going, <laughs> looking. <laughs> just looking. Oh, what have I done? <laughs> so you didn't know, Dad, that Peter was a singer when you guys first connected on the telethon. So you just got Pete. You got hired on, and well, and then you snuck on stage one. Day. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 we've got two versions of that story. Your version first, or mine? Let's, you're, yeah, let's do you're, dad's version first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Peter was, uh, I think, 1985 would have been our first telethon that we all worked together on. Uh, does that I, sound about I, right? I, I suppose right. Yeah. And uh, it, was earlier. Uh, it was a tiny production staff and a ridiculously ambitious show that had that went for right through the night with performers coming out, the yin-yang, everybody that was anybody was performing that year, including Scott, was, was uh, who I barely knew. And um, uh, Peter was brought in. I, um, 
I think our production staff was a total of three people. You maybe made four. And all I knew was that Peter came in, didn't he was officially given the title of transportation coordinator. And I thought it was Which really interesting well. because <laughs> the only thing Peter really seemed to be concerned about was making sure all of the beer and wine was getting picked up for the wrap party. And hey, very important, important. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so doesn't this show start to roll right along? And I wasn't even sure who anybody was performing. And uh, all I know is that I need the transportation coordinator. It was about one in the morning. And I'm looking all around for Peter. And there's just just hundreds of people there. And I spot Peter over on stage of whatever, two or three, when we we had a lot of different stages set up. And there you were. I with George. And there's Peter getting ready to go on live, and I didn't know he was one of the singers. <laughs> and he and George Oliver did... Uh, Love and Feeling. Love Righteous and Brothers. Feeling Righteous Brothers. So, of course, he embellishes it now and has him kicking me off of the stage <laughs> as I'm grabbing his leg. You, but what that was a little, bit, uh, a little bit theatrical. But, uh, oh, but that's, when I learned, that's when I learned that Peter was one of the singers. Very weak in the transportation category, but a pretty oh, damn good singer. Snap. Oh, was that a little shot? Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that wasn't a little one. It was a huge one. Uh, that one didn't go your across version. the bow. <laughs> <laughs> or did we cover your version in the... That was it. Okay. <laughs> so you and uh, Scotty played in, of course, the, the, the band Diamondback, which is how this all kind of happened for me, was I came back from university and... You know, as one does when they're trying to have an artistic career, I moved back in with my parents <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they have begrudgingly supported me ever since. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so you, you guys started playing again in 2008 and we were regular supporters mm -hmm. and uh, gosh, that, that was, those were good gigs. That was good every gigs. Sunday. That's my favorite band that I have been in mm -hmm. and I've been in some pretty good bands. That's my favorite band because I don't, I don't know, Squish, uh, Howie, McKenna. I mean, how good do you have to be, you mm. know? So, I loved it. I loved Diamondback. And, and I, we did all, a lot of eclectic stuff. We didn't just, we weren't a blues band or a country band. We just, we just did what we wanted to do. It just so happens there were blues in it and uh, and uh, country and so yeah it was nice to be able to do what you wanted to do because in the old days if you came on you weren't doing top 40 mm. the owner would come over and say well you need to play this stuff mm. well no we don't see but so is that maybe why the album got tucked away for it got tucked away years? because atlantic told us what songs they wanted us to do. And basically we were, we liked the songs, but they weren't the ones that we would have picked. And when, when it was done, the vice president decided it, it's not, uh, uh, it's, it's not um, people friendly enough kind of thing. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like what they want to hear. Well, then why is it full? Were they just hungry? You know, it's, it's, it, well, it gets annoying after a while when when a 
a club owner that's 88 years old walks in and says, Hello, TJ. Anything from the Civil War? <laughs> so can I just interject that no. you guys were together in, am I right, in the mid-70s? Yeah. That was your first kick? Mm -hmm. And that, and you were together for what, a year? Just oh, a, no, Just no, enough to record a, a couple albums? Oh, no, we, we played for a couple of years. Oh, did you? Okay. Years, yeah. okay. But then you're, when, when Andrea met you, you were now, you had all gone your own ways for 30 years, and you were now resurrected. But I was amazed, the stuff that you came out with in, are we talking 2008? Eight, yeah. It's a couple of those songs, I think, are, maybe we'll get a chance to hear them. But a couple are going to be, our, I still think, are absolute winners. And this is you guys getting together again after all that time. Mm -hmm. And I confess, I was a big fan of you guys, but I didn't have the courage that Andrea did to actually jump in and kind of manage you guys and get you bookings. And I just thought, these guys are, these are old farts. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be an ache and a pain here. Uh, can we scratch that? What's that? Did I use an incorrect word? I shouldn't have used old. These farts. Were... <laughs> anyway, back to oh, you. Oh, Lord. Well, on that note, I will play. I don't have uh, the 2008 stuff handy, but I, I do want to play it just a bit of one of my favorite tracks, which is Ramblin' Man, which has you and, of course, the great Scotty on there. So oh, that's play. incredible. We'll that, play that, a that's bit. the first song I was asked to do with them. Okay. And I, I, Michael wrote it. It's just a yeah. rambling three. And I said, oh, God, Cole, you could have done better. <laughs> you know, everybody else, I didn't, I, I enjoyed doing it, but it wasn't something I would have put on an album. Right. But McKenna, as usual, was right. Scotty was right. <laughs> Yeah. 
is why they called him Professor Piano. Oh, <laughs> the king. One of the kings, certainly. That was my fave, except for how many more years. Oh, yeah. I would like to end the podcast with how many more years, because it's just, oh, what I mean, I, I think anyone who, uh, yeah, who might listen to this is going to enjoy that song. It's, it's, oh. it's a... It's a it's an absolute hit from yeah. the seventies yeah. that no one's heard before. Yeah, I know, man. I uh, I love that song, and and everybody in the band tried to get me to do it, and I said, no, it's Scotty's song, man. Forget it. It's it was perfect. And about two or three years ago, uh, Johnny Pickering said, well, why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. You love the song, and I said, you know, I start crying. No man, it's it's Scotty. What can I say? It, I can sing it. I know I can sing it, and it might do a good job. But there's just something about the wiseness in Scotty's voice mm-hmm. and his feeling. I just. Mm-hmm. And he said to me at the time, there's a one line in the song where, when I'm old and gray, he said, "I recorded this song when I was, you know, he was in his late twenties. How old, you know, how old you guys been in the seventies?" Oh. Early thirties at most, maybe late twenties. Why are they still there? <laughs> and uh, and then you know, in two thousand and eight, when I met you guys, you know, he's singing the song about being old and gray, and now he's, you old know, and gray. seventy, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah. So after one gig, uh, Scott and I were talking, and I mentioned I was a you know I had played the piano before, and but I had only ever learned kind of classical and and sheet music and stuff. I didn't know how to just sit down and play and. He goes, oh, well, you're looking at your piano teacher. And I'm thinking, I've seen you play. <laughs> I don't, there's no way I'm keeping up. And uh, he's like, no, 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 I'm being really patient. I remember telling you after the gig, pretty excited, like, oh, my gosh, Scott's going to teach me piano. And you very gently, but just, you know, um, just go in with eyes open, understand that Scott's not in the best place. And his apartment is a little, you know, we're a little worried yeah, about him. Yeah. And, and um, I think you both kind of gave me a, a smidge of caution before I started, mm-hmm. and which apparently I then jumped in both feet and soundly ignored. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as I went to this guy's apartment, and yes, it was a it was a spooky uh, basement apartment that was just rather depressing. Um, but I'm sitting there listening to him play, listening to this mm-hmm. just epic the way he played and then the stories he would tell me and yeah you know it's just like and i'm sitting here going uh i I can't be the only person who who sees this guy like this Mm -hmm. is just wrong on every level and then he pulls out his his gold and platinum albums from aerosmith out of like a dusty corner yeah (laughs) i know i know jeez like okay scotty and uh, and so I used to record uh, for the piano lesson, and then I would just leave it recording for all the stories he was telling me. He used to tell me, "Oh, do you want to turn this off? The piano lesson's over." It's like, no, no, this is this is why I record these things. <laughs> and um, and yeah, but you know, you're you're describing that absolute. Uh, um, what there's a word here, dichotomy. I'm not sure. Here's a guy who's a genius, who could do things that very, very few other people on the planet could do. Mm-hmm. And the price that he paid for being able to do that was that his own life was what we would call in complete disarray and dysfunction. And so you jumped in and said, I think, 
I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think you said, hey, I can, I can help fix this. And darned if you didn't and got them into incredibly perfect housing and, um, and got them and, you know, and kept the group going with some gigs and things. But I mean, I know we got, you got us involved in, uh, you know, just interacting more with Scott and the simple things that he needed. Yeah. Well, the, the, the and it was things. always simple things too. Wasn't, he wasn't looking for bars of gold. Would have been nice kind of thing, but he wasn't looking for that music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. It's it's you know. all it was always his his mindset. But you're right, Dad. The simplest thing that probably that you helped me set up for him that um, made the biggest one of the biggest differences was taking him to Sandy the barber, and uh, <laughs> that was one of the first things I did with Scott. He remember I don't know if you remember he had his, his hair was kind of all matted and 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 mm -hmm. Sandy patiently because Scott decided he didn't want to cut his hair that day. Um, but he wanted, he wanted to keep his hair long and I have never, Sandy was just a miracle. He patiently combed through that rat's nest mm -hmm. for like 40 minutes and just talked with Scott about all of his, you know, the musicians in his life. And I've never seen anyone treated like a star, um, so well. And then, and, but under the circumstances, it was just so phenomenal and <laughs> kind of in full circle. The very last day I saw Scott, I took him to see Sandy. That was our very last. Oh yeah. Yeah, wow. that was our very last day together. And and, uh, and and Peter knows Sandy well, and and I yeah. know Sandy, so yeah. And he and, and you know don't forget Sandy, all the stars. Hawkins went to Sandy. Levon. <laughs> Levon, yeah, what a man, what a band. Yeah. Anyway, back well, to the Squish. No, Squish well, did a lot of producing. For Hawkins, down in Muscle Shoals. Mm -hmm. Never got paid for it. Never got paid for it. But Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Scott was not a businessman. No. <laughs> when it came to no. getting paid. <laughs> but he he loved doing. Oh, God, yes. He, yeah. And he, I don't know if I ever told you about this. The last song in the album is uh, This Old Train. Mm -hmm. Scotty had a friend from years ago, and he has to do with uh, mentally challenged people, this man. And he runs a hospital in the States for this. And Scotty had sent him down a copy of the album. He, he called Scott and said, Scotty, I gotta tell you something, man. I really love the album. But that song, This Old Train, he said, I put that on, I put the, let the th whole thing play. And the last song came on, it's this old train, not a peep. Mm. And they asked for it over and over and over. This old train was just something that yeah. hit these people. Mm -hmm. That's something we can play a bit of? Uh, I think so. It's the last song, right? Yep. Stanley Andersby and I sing harmonies with him.
love that. <clears throat> Scotty started singing it before we played it. Yeah, this was and, always kind of Scott's song. He's played oh, it a, quite a, oh, yeah. a few different... And he played it with the he Delta thought, He basically thought, well, it may be too country. And I immediately, because I can hear harmonies, because I sang with McBride for years and choirs, right off the bat I had a harmony for it. Mm -hmm. So I sang it, and he's playing, singing, looking up, and kind, kind of got this little smile on his face. So, that, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's how that came about. Now, you mentioned McBride. I think you should take a little bit longer to tell the audience that you and, and Bobby were... How long have you guys played together for, oh, or sang uh, together for quite a while? Since the 60s. We, uh, we sang together about... The first time I met him was about 65. Okay. 66. And we were both in school at the time. And we just met at Rick Taylor's place. Party. Okay, okay. And we just... We liked each other, and we were singing at the party, so we just we got together. Uh, that's basically, you know. And then he be became famous with Lighthouse. Lighthouse. <laughs> He was the main yeah. lead singer in the yeah. Lighthouse mm -hmm. for all their big hits. And, yeah. And I think you guys co-wrote one of the hits. Hats off to a stranger. Right here. <laughs> Hats off to a stranger. to a stranger. Yeah, indeed. Well done, Peter. Yeah, yeah. I like that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proud of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I've always loved, you have the, yeah, the best voice, Pete. It's just rich and beautiful. Is. Yeah. And this, this event, oh. um, I, I oh. just was such a highlight. Got, you know, I would, I would set up Scott with these, you know, smaller gigs um, and at this one little restaurant became a bit of a regular scene, but this particular day you were there, you got up and sang with Scott and the two of you, it was just, oh, it was such a highlight. And the whole bar was singing, everyone was there for you. Um, yeah, it was, it was really that. lovely. So I'll play just a few licks of this one. <laughs> Shape up. 
I always call him the master of understatement because no matter whether it's an up-tempo or a ballad, the ballads are crazy. He just, he was, he put things, I don't know how to explain it. it I mean, Fonfair, amazing. All the people I've played with are great, but Squish, the master of understatement, all of a sudden there would be a chord that needed to be there, that was already there, but it needed to be. If it hadn't been, it would have changed everything. He just had such a, a, a thing of timing, a sense of timing and where to put everything. Yeah. And we'll talk a bit about sort of Scott's kind of connection to the band, but uh, that song uh, obviously is one of the bands. And, you know... Assume your grandchildren will one day hear this. Can you both explain a little, like, why the band was an important band in music? Oof. Wow. Well, I'm the least uh, uh, credible to answer that, but I'll try. <laughs> the, 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 the band came out of out of Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. And, and Hawkins was, Peter played with, sang with them, um, they, they were, they were, um, in the early sixties, they were powerful. And then, but the band, they, the, the, the Hawks at the time decided they could all sing and they decided to break away from Ronnie Hawkins and go on their own. And it was fun. According to Robbie's book, there's a couple of little reasons why they thought that was the way to go. And they struggled for a while, but they ultimately ended up uh, mm -hmm. filling in, backing up Bob Dylan for a few years, and then recorded their own stuff. But Scott was part of the Hawks yep. in the early days, and well, he and and I'll let Petey take it over. Well, Pete Trainer, and Robbie and Scott played in a group together, and they ended up. I don't know how they got the gig, but they ended up playing with Ronnie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I remember, I can remember seeing Scott once because I used to, my sister used to take me down to the matinees on Saturdays. She, I freaked out. First time I heard them, I said, well, I'm not going to school anymore. <laughs> so much for education. I know exactly what I want to do. But if I had done that, my dad would have beaten the hell out of me. So anyway. Delete that. Edit that in. <laughs> but that uh, just... I don't know, it's just, it's hard. it's hard for me to put into words how I felt. I mean, oh, here's a, a little tidbit. When I first started, John Brower, who had been my manager for years, but we've been friends for years, gave me a call and said, Sel Saffron would like you to go down to RCA. He's doing an album with McKenna, Scott Cushney, and I didn't know Scott that well. I knew who he was, but I didn't know him that well. Mm -hmm. Scott, Rick, and uh, Howie Smith on bass. And uh, Scott told me a couple of years later, he said, you know, when you joined, because Scott was the only singer. Uh-huh. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Shelley wanted, it's not that he didn't want Scott singing, but he wanted more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, he called Brower and asked, uh, asked if he thought that I might like to do it. And I thought, well, shit, hell yeah, I'll go down. And that's the first song I sang, uh, the one you like, mm. that blues the yeah. Ramblin' Man, yeah. Yeah, Ramblin' Man. And uh, that that was it. And Scotty told me, 
couple of years later, you know, I was jealous, very, very jealous. And I said, why? He said, well, here you have with this voice, and here I have, you know, I got piano and I've got whatever. I said, Squish, <laughs> where are you going to go? I can't have you go anywhere. I love your voice. It's wise. It's soulful. And the way you write, I know I'll take that anytime also. You know, and just, just hearing him. And I'd, I had no intentions of trying to outdo Scott. Mm -hmm. I was actually quite happy thinking it's six, six guys. Nice. So, you know, and shit like this. And, and that was it. But he, he was, he said I was jealous because I was sad. Mm -hmm. Thinking that I wouldn't be in the band. Mm -hmm. I'm going, oh my God, you know. Hmm. But it did add a balance, and there's completely your so, your voices are so completely different, mm -hmm. and yet, and so the album had a very different feel. Yeah. So you also, when I think of it, you were covering a lot of different types of music just by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was packing Scott up, it's one of these great little moments um, that we were recording, uh, Paul and I, as we were kind of getting uh, that apartment somehow condensed <laughs> to us to what was going to be a smaller place, and Scotty was telling me basically why I couldn't throw out his piles of, of you know, scribbles on paper, um, all of his random notes that he would have. Because this is how I write a song, Andrea. I just pick up any of these, and I see one line, and then and then he goes, do, 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 and now I've got another song. <laughs> and I'm like, you got it, sir. I will throw all of these <laughs> papers in a box, never, I'm sure, to be opened again, but it's okay. It sounds like I've seen the video on the Traveling Wilburys, and the way they wrote, it sounds so similar. They would get together, and somebody would throw out a lyric, and they'd all play different mm -hmm bits to it and the next thing you know I mean they wrote stuff in, yes in a weekend they did a couple of their most famous albums mm -hmm. and yeah. al there's a word from the past an album vinyl's back dad vinyl's oh, back okay. yeah good, yeah good, good. there's well, vinyl's got you, know, soul. you know what's a fun statistic uh, I think it was last year was for the first time since the since the eighties I guess um, that vinyl sales have surpassed CD sales because <laughs> CDs are now kind of nobody buys them anymore. But now, but vinyl's yeah. been on the rise, and so it's actually overtaken CDs again. Well, CDs are, are so perfect, and most people that are music lovers don't care about that. They play, care about how it's being played, whatever. But they're not. It it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. they, uh, <laughs> they, they feel the soul they feel the, the, yeah. the lyrics and everything like that uh, Robbie in his book talked oh. to that point when they were recording in, uh, in the big pink uh, in, mm. in the big part of their, their successful creation period um, uh, yeah he <laughs> uh, I better pause on that one I, I was just going to say no. <laughs> well, now you got to say it's all right. It's in the book. It's out there. <laughs> no, what he said was uh, they recorded a lot of their, what they called basement tapes. And they were with a little Mickey Mouse recording set up and they were only doing it for demos. And what happened was those tapes got somehow released out there. I, the word was Dylan may have fed them out. But somebody did, and they were so well received. And what they realized was they were not uh, recording quality, but they were because of the feel, and the, mm -hmm. the, they were wonderful. 
Absolutely. And so to that point, there yeah. is something about music that when it's so real and so pure and the people doing it were so into it yeah. that that the perfection part did not mean squat. Well, that's my favorite band in the world next to Diamondback is the band. So Scott went from the days with the Hawk as one of the Hawks. He, he formed his own groups. Yeah. And, and I think the first group I heard him play in was... Um, uh, piano. The not the rocking deltoids, the Canadian aces. Canadian aces. And we had them on. Actually, they were. We did. Um, they were on a, uh, a concerts in the park series that yeah, was broadcast by CBC, and that was a big. Uh, it was one of the most successful uh, concerts. We had Hawkins and in another one that was very successful. And I'm thinking of the crowds that were there mm -hmm. that came out for them. So the Canadian Aces had, were packed and, um, and they were down off of, um, oh, where's my brain? Uh, off Queen Street in, um, oh, it was in the beaches. beaches. Yeah, it was in the beaches yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was packed. And, uh, Fitzgerald's? Across from Fitzgerald's, yeah. That's yeah. okay. You have, you guys have, you know, half your brain from memory. I've got half my brain from chemo. Together, we can, <laughs> we can make this work. We can fix this. <laughs> we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow yeah. or other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No, I mean, when I think of Scott, like, it's just, it's so hard to describe him to people because he was, <clears throat> unique doesn't cover it. He was eclectic. <laughs> he was eclectic. a word we don't know, we don't know what it means. Eclectic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he was just, he was so, I don't know, like, sweet and merged with annoying, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. but somehow you just always forgave him every pain in the butt quality he had because he was so charming and fun and... Generous. Generous. Yeah. I don't know. Generous. Absolutely. You know, when you think of a person playing, Peter was saying it... He would. I, I remember watching him with the group, and he seemed to know when they when he could come in, and when he when he would just be tinkling in the back. He wouldn't even know he was playing until it was. If it wasn't there, hey, then you you'd really know. knew. You really so, knew. You know yeah. what I mean? He was just. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, and look who loved to play with him, Doc Riley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when Doc Riley likes to play with you, you got to start thinking, "Geez, I must be okay." <laughs> you know, honest to God. I'm just going to interject for a quick second for those of you who don't know who uh, Doug Riley is. Doug, Dr. Music Riley, was another phenomenal Canadian keyboardist, and he and Scott had a couple albums together called Two Pianos No Waiting. And this is Doug performing on his own a little sample from his song Jump for Joy. story please tell it we were in and your dad and i were in jingles which was a bar on church street oh my god oh yeah we're sitting in there. jack lens had just let us know that he wasn't gonna be doing the fun mm. and he was the musical director right so i i we're the three of us are sitting there and doc sort of was sitting there and, and i said I can't, I can't think of another keyboard player right now. 
And it's like the three of us sort of who are we talking to here? Yeah. Ian, of course. Doc, holy shit. Now, Ian Anderson was uh, the musical drive behind the early telethons, and he was pretty, uh, he knew oh. more about music than uh, anyone. It oh, he's at the a time. musicologist. Yeah. yeah. Ian, he rest his soul. He was brilliant. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that. Uh, that was a cute story that we, we, we played on ourselves for years, and we said, Does anybody know any, any keyboard players? And of course, that would. Lead us into our all. We're doc sitting stories. beside Doc. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Doc. <laughs> he thought we know were anybody doing it. Of <laughs> know anybody we could use uh, playing keys? <laughs> oh, God. Their album of dueling pianos. Oh. Yeah. I, I trust you have that. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, of course. Yeah. It is so, so brilliant. The two you of think? them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I think the two of them. You know, I talked about it in, in the other interview is, you know, because Doc had his disability and Scott with his vision disability. Like, I think that was they 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 understood each other on a level oh. that, that other people um, mm -hmm. wouldn't have. And I mean, Scott was interesting that way. Like, you know, you wouldn't know it to see him walking around um, the, that his vision was as bad as it was. And like, did he it, when he was younger? I'm always curious because he was very upfront about it with me. Um, was it something he ever tried to hide, kind of back in the day, or was it, you know? I think he just didn't make any point of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know whether he cared whether anybody knew he could see properly or not. The whole thing were these. Yeah. Didn't have to see, did he? No, he could. You know, I, I was trying to understand, and, and someone could, I'm sure, uh, they would probably give us a reaction. But I believe he could see like a pinhole. Would With that be one, safe so to say? he he had two different <laughs> his two different eyes. He explained it was one was his periphery eye, <laughs> so it was the worst vision, but it had the most periphery. Ah. And the other eye was seeing like a through a pinhole, but that's his reading eye. That was his eye. He could see mm -hmm. more distance and okay. more things with. So he kind of could. So if he was reading, he would do it with the one eye. Okay. And the other eye was sort of gave him the best. So officially legally blind. Yes. Yeah. But, but he could get some functionality out of. Mm -hmm. Oh, he yeah. could he could see. But so he didn't consider well. himself. He never considered mm -hmm. himself disabled. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, he did a lot of stuff with the CNIB, and but I knew he mm. refused a cane. Like that was very early on. They wanted, they were okay. trying to teach him how to walk with a cane and he was not having that. Yeah. But he would meander and do his thing. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, We'd be waiting at McKenna's place to go to a gig. Okay. Where the hell is Scotty? You know, it's, it's like we're on in about 30 minutes, and it's going to take 28 minutes to get there, and we haven't started yet. And he would just look down the street, and we'd see Scott just looking at the trees as he's walking, just sauntering. <laughs> Squish, come on. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't change the, the gate. He would just keep walking and looking. Apparently, his parents, his sister was telling me when he was a kid uh, at the cottage they had, which was near Concarden. They were down in Concarden. And uh, the parents left him behind a couple times to just walk home because they never knew where he was and he yeah. would always be dawdling around. So 
this is not a new, it was not no, a new no, no. <laughs> <laughs> trait. Ah, ah, there ah. was more than one time where I spoke with Mitch or other, you guys, like, should I be worried about this? Is this like a sign of age or something? No, no, that's it's just a Scott. a sign of Scott. But he could, he could handle, I don't know if he did subways. He certainly did oh, streetcars. Yeah. yeah, he did subways. About it. He preferred this. He preferred streetcars for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah, so he, do I. he got around. <laughs> yeah. Well, before you 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 got into the mix with everything, I've been saying to him, okay. I I don't know what got us onto the doctor, but I said, well, what's happening with your glasses? Because I know it's years since he's been to the doctor. And he said, well, these are the the last ones he made for me, and I think it was about ten years before that. And I said, well, let's go see your doctor. We made an appointment, went over. And the doctor gave him 10% more sight. Because of all those years of, mm-hmm. of technology, mm-hmm, Scott mm-hmm. said, I can't believe I can actually sort of see, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, was, I thought, which I thought was great. And I said, I told you, te- technology, bud, like your mm-hmm. keys, they can't mm-hmm. keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> and th- yeah, and then, then you... Yeah, well, we got mm-hmm. we got them to, uh, yeah, we got, well. <laughs> and they weren't all scratched up either. His glasses <laughs> looked like a road map. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to goodness. Yeah, well, we got his eyes, uh, uh, not, well, la- laser to some degree, but um, um, the cataracts, he ended up, I took him to the eye doctor and exactly, he hadn't, been, he hadn't been in so long, his cataracts were so bad and he hadn't noticed them because of his vision. Um uh, she's like, it was, it was apparently quite impressive cataracts that he had. And so when he came out of that, he could, you know, he was like, Oh, if the CNIB finds out that I can see this well, they're going to take away my accreditation. What a guy. Oh, it was actually, it's kind of, uh, sad, but funny in a way. So he was so happy when we got it done, he could see, he was so thrilled. And I go to see him a couple days later and he is the most depressed I think I'd ever seen him. And I'm like, Scott, like, what, what's going on? And he basically had not looked in a mirror in 30 years because of that. I, I so he, he, he shaved, that. he shaved by touch. He never used, you know, and because, the, and then with the cataracts and everything, he just didn't really look in a mirror. And now he can see for the first time. And I, I you know, it's like someone coming to wake up from a coma. Like he could see, you know, 30 yeah. years had gone by and he says, I look like my mother did when she was 80. And I'm like, well, Scott, you're 77, man. I don't know quite what to tell you. And then he started telling me he wanted to dye his hair again. Remember when he dyed his hair red? Oh, so that was, that was like, I I feel so proud that I managed to talk him out of that one. Oh, he was for a little while. He was pretty down. Well, the rest of us have the same feeling when we look at our pictures of when we were 25 or 30 and we look at ourselves now, uh, particularly Peter, who's much older than I am. That's true. And then I you got younger. Shot. I did more drugs. So I felt a lot younger. And uh, yeah, just <laughs> so, 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 yeah, uh, we've, we've asked Peter to donate his, uh, his remains with, along to with uh, the several <laughs> to members some. of the Rolling Stones. We, yeah. want, we want science to check them out. And just uh-huh. see, yeah. If what, what combination of, of illegal drugs makes yeah. <laughs> makes yes. for this epically long well, life? It just depends on what I don't know, but I know it depends. It won't be scientifically accurate, but <laughs> it will be interesting. 
and I'll, I'll yeah. truly let you know another time. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, well, and then, of course, uh, you know, Scotty going missing was... I was actually on my way to this, uh, to this place when, uh, to this cottage when I called you to tell you that I had reported Scott missing. And, um, I, at the time was really, you know, obviously in retrospect, grasping at straws that, yeah, that things yeah. were okay. Uh, I just thought, you know, there's a chance. And there, it turned out there was one guy in the building who, I feel, I'm not sure exactly where his head was at. I mean, I know he's maybe had some different challenges, but he, um, he had, we discovered had told the police, I think he thought like Scott was in trouble and he was like covering for Scott or something. Ah, you know what I mean? Ah, like I the see. cops are here. I gotta you know, yeah, give them sure a, Scott's okay. yeah, yeah. whatever you do, don't tell the truth. Exactly. <laughs> I, I feel like that's where it went because yeah. they said, Oh, this, the police told me um, that someone in the building told them that Scott had gone up North to play a gig. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I remember you telling me that. Okay. Like I would be the one who would, have organized that. I would have been the one who who did yeah. that, and and I'm talking to every musician who knows him, and somebody would know something. I'm like, did Aerosmith fly in and <laughs> and, and, yeah. and whisk him away somewhere? And and we and and I knew his wallet had been left behind, but I could picture this. I could picture Scott getting in the car with somebody that said, "All right, we're going to do this," and halfway through the drive, oh, I didn't bring my wallet. Oh, Scott, okay, well, we'll cover you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. that part I could see clear as a bell. Um, but, yeah, it was, that was such a surreal, I still look back, I still tell people that story and just can't believe it's even real mm -hmm. when I talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, he is real. But yeah. that ending, I mean, I think we all kind of said it, like, it, 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 as weird as it was, everything that happened, it, it, Scott to a T. Yes. I think I think what I was That's totally and I think it, it, a gift to Scott in a strange way was that the, his story went around the world uh, on the internet and uh, I kept glancing. I, I was I was looking up different stories, particularly when he was found and and the fact that that he had already. Uh, had one funeral and he ended up with a second funeral. <laughs> Did he get any egg salad sandwiches? Uh, That's what's yeah. usually there. Yeah, the, 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 the <laughs> wedding crasher and the funeral crashers and oh, going for the egg salad. But to be able to um, uh, look on the internet and see uh, in languages that you couldn't understand, but in in um, Italian, a lot of people speak Italian, but in in Japanese or in in, uh, I'll pick some countries out of Eastern Europe, and there would be Scott Cushney and the, the write-up. So he was, yeah. the story was flipping around the world as only because of the internet age. Yeah. And uh, it was bizarre that the, this, and news organizations were picking it up and translating it for their own audiences uh, because it was such an unusual story. Absolutely, absolutely. And you've told the story, I guess, have you on the, I mean, is this the first uh, the yeah, podcast? Yeah, well, or? for those listening to this first episode, uh, we will get to that full story, but ah, not today. I'm going to okay. leave you hanging just a smidge on that one. Ah, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Leave them one. 
Yeah, <laughs> always wanting more. So that being said, we'll we'll start to wrap this up. So I mean, any favorite I'm not ready. moments? I'm not well, ready to wrap this up. Yes. What's your favorite uh, kind of when you think of Scott? What's something that makes you laugh or something? Um, Have you got an you, hour or two? Well, go go take take what take what time you want. Go but, for it. But I just loved his mellow. I just loved his mellow ways of doing everything. Even when he's booging, he's mellow. He's just and his hands are just doing things that are impossible. So when you know somebody's that good, you just sort of breathe. I'm glad he's here. <laughs> he I, he just he was so good on the keys, obviously. It's just a master of understatement. He didn't go crazy. He did sometimes, mm -hmm. but he didn't go crazy with, with oh, this, this is a great solo. I think I'll play another 25, whatever. He just, he played, and there'd be a, all of a sudden, that. Mm -hmm. And it because he reminds me of the Beatles. Uh, every time I listen to a Beatles song, even now, and I listen to the Beatles, I'm hearing new things from all their old songs. I mean... Scotty was like that. Mm -hmm. you, 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 all of a sudden, if you're listening, all of a sudden there's this other sound that was a little different than what was going on there, but it fit like a damn glove. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it always, I listen for that anyway in everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Scotty was a master. He it just, keeps it from ever getting uh, ho-hum. And it keep, you wonder, how can you keep enjoying music? But you say he didn't go all out. Well, come on, when he was doing his boogie-woogie. Oh. I mean, he loved joy. He loved... Oh, yeah. He was bringing joy to the room, to yeah. the people listening and... and uh, boogie the night away. Yeah. Boogie the night uh -huh. away. Ooh. And the, the solos he played. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, and that song. Boy, oh, boy. I was so... My thing is, I'm so used to playing with guys like that from that day on. And... I, they couldn't do any wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Not to me. Mm -hmm. They just couldn't do any wrong. Yeah. Okay. And the squishola, wow, 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 wow. How did you come up with squish as a Well, name? you know Victor Garber? No. Well, he's, he's an actor. And uh, he was in Superstar. Okay. With me. He was Jesus, I was Judas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Victor, you played Judas? I think I I'm having trouble with that one. <laughs> That's a whole. That's a new level to that, Pete. I don't think I appreciated that before. Now. <laughs> oh, you learned something. So new yeah. So Judas, continue. Well, yes. Victor Garber, really pretty famous actor. Yes, he is a very. Yeah. Uh, he was in Titanic. I think he was the builder of the Titanic in the movie Cameron's movie. Anyway, he's been in a lot of Blue Bloods TV shows, mm. a, a lot of shows, and a wonderful vocalist. Not as good as Bobby. But a, a wonderful boy, yeah. vocalist and an extremely nice bride. Yeah. His sister, who is a good singer, called Scotty Squishy. Hmm. Because he tried to act tough. Right. Not, not like, let's go tough, but tough. Mm. Strong. And she said, Scotty, it doesn't matter. You're just all squishy inside. <laughs> and when I heard that, that's what it is. Squish, <laughs> yeah, squishola, yeah. squish. 
Yeah, <laughs> I would say that sums. Yeah, that's it's pretty good. Hits right. Yeah. yeah, I've always thought of all the nicknames I've heard that that one was the most appropriate. <laughs> I was curious where it came from. I, I, it just struck me as cute. Mm. Her, she's a very nice lady. Mm-hmm. Victor Garber's sister. Yeah. Isn't this a good story? <laughs> I mean, she's probably forgotten. Oh uh, no, I don't think so. I uh, think she she loved him. Okay. I mean, he played. They played together for. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, but squish all of him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I look back on on all of this, and I'm, I'm so, so excited to just make this, make this happen. Scott and I, we're planning this documentary from the moment we kind of started talking about it. I said, oh, I want to do a documentary about your life. He's like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, great. <laughs> That's yeah. a chord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back to playing. Um, yeah, I look back on, on that time, and I don't think I would do anything differently. Or, you know, I, I would have, if anything, jumped in just that all that much more. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, every time I, I kind of tried to keep one toe in or, or say, oh, this is maybe a bit too much, um, it, you know, it was, it was, it hurt me and him, and it just, it was, everything was better when I just kind of leaned in and, that all in, yeah. 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 Mm. Well, I will go out on uh, how many more years because it is just so good. It's the only one. It is the only one. And, I mean, it's not, it's such a different song than what Scott mostly played. I mean, the boogie stuff is so upbeat and fast and mm-hmm. all of that. It. This is kind of the only song really that truly is, you know, so melodic. But oh, I... It's just such a rich song. It is. And I love him describing how uh, recording it, he, there was a, it was a grand piano and he just kind of on an impulse stuck his hands inside and played it like, played the strings Mm -hmm. like a harp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, it (laughs) worked. Yeah. So that's, that's what you hear at the very, very opening of the song is Scott plucking the, the grand piano keys like it's a harp. Incredible. So uh, this is... You might say new keyboards. <laughs> this is uh, from the excellent album of Diamondback 1974, which you can get uh, on Apple Music and I'm pretty sure Spotify, but I'll double check that. But uh, I'll have links and all of those great things to all these songs. Um, and so this is from Diamondback 1974, How Many More Years, the great Scott Professor Piano Kushney.
Mama, treat me like you do How many more times Gonna treat me like you do Thank you both for 
Yeah, but we're not being finished. being this. We haven't smoked any dope yet. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Oh, it's not those days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those days can still come later. Yeah. Oh, well, this is uh, could not have had two better people for this one. Thank you so much. Oh, baby. Mm. I love you so much. Mm. Ever since you stared at me <laughs> and made me feel I'm like. Being, what am I be, doing? Being it's, judged. Yeah. She, yeah. My daughter about, has that ability too. She's about seven years old. What is she trying to tell me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>